When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is, again, why I say, like, I, the people that are in recovery, I like more than anybody because they're introspective. So I just started this deep personal journey about, like, what is it that I want? What do I want to be? Who? What is possible? What is this all about? All this kind of stuff. And so although I remember my oldest brother thinking, like, what did you quit? You quit drinking? You know, what, what? You can't even have a glass of wine? I was like, yeah, man, like, I'm, I'm, I don't drink. I'm not a drinker. This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast. If you're looking to hear stories of hope, inspiration, and turning your greatest adversities into your advantage, well, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Jason Lachance, and through my addiction recovery and struggles with anxiety and depression, I dug into my passion of speaking with people who have transformed their lives. And Rob Hanley, publisher and editor-in-chief of uh, Recovery Today magazine, thanks for joining me on Knocking Doors Down. Sure, man. I'm happy to. I'm happy to. Thanks for inviting me. Hell yeah. I was, uh, we were talking before we hit recording and I wanted to share this with people because they'll hear me say it often is, uh, you know, follow the people that have what you want and that's not a nefarious thing. And, and Rob's one of those people that I followed. And so it's cool to finally sit down and talk with you. And, and I just love your work. And of course we'll have the links in the, the description here so people can get subscribed to recovery today magazine. It's, it's a must. I mean, just the principles of it, those not yet in addiction recovery, those in recovery and those who got sober long ago. And I mean, you know, it's um, just the work in there and the amount of people you work with is, is phenomenal. And we'll talk Thank about you, that in a bit, but three things you're grateful for today. Oh, wow, man. Well, you know, funny thing is, it's e- that's an easy, it's not a hard one. Um, I um, was w- saving a little bit of, um, uh, I'm, uh, I have to put a label on myself, I'm kind of, I'm ADD. I don't like labels, so I'll say I have the, I have what people <laughs> would say, oh yeah, that's, that's uh, kind of, so one of them is, I literally, I Googled once upon a time, why do I overshare? Because I seem to tell everybody freaking everything. And then I was, and then it said it's a characteristic of 80. And I was like, holy shit, like, really? Okay, well, I don't. so saving the transparency, there was something that happened um, about a year or so ago with my wife. And um, I, I, I thought she died, actually. Oh. And it wasn't an overdose, had nothing to do with drugs. My wife's actually never even smoked a cigarette, as a matter of fact, in her in in, in her life. And um, anyhow, it was something very bad. So from that day on, um, after we cleared that, um, a- a- after we cleared that very scary episode, um, I wrote, I have a to-do, a reminder that says, what are you grateful for? So the very first thing that I think of when you say that is, my answer to that has always been, I'm, I'm very grateful to my wife that my wife is, um, you know, in great health and, and, you know, alive and every, and, and, and stuff like that. So that's the first thing. Um, secondly, I am very grateful for, uh, recovery today. And I am very grateful for, um, the opportunity that I've had with it to meet interesting people and have interesting conversations. This being one of them. And um, 
And then I'm just oper- I'm just uh, I'm grateful also just honestly to be alive myself to have like this experience t- today and that we're I, I I'm very intentional about kind of being a work in progress and um I don't know man that I can kind of be better than I was that t- today I can be better hopefully in some way that I was yesterday and just for this kind of this whole experience I don't know. I probably should think of something else too, but because it sounds kind of fluffy and bullshitish, but like that's the real, that's the, that's the truth, you know. Well, don't you find though that when you like those that really work recovery, and we can, we can distinguish a difference with people, but Mm -hmm. then when you really do and you are authentic, some of that, some of the shit might come across like fluffy, but it's not because you just genuinely can embrace things that we never did before when we were using. Yeah. And so um, it's what I call um, it's what I call the hard left turn. I don't know if I probably read it somewhere. You know, I tend to sometimes I tend to think that I came up with things, but I'm sure I stole that from somebody. Uh, but. Um, it's like you're driving into, a, you know, you're going along and going along and you, you know, you're recklessly driving and then you hit a brick wall and it's like, whoa, like what happened? And then you can't go on any further or whatever. And so then you have this period where you, you have to take a hard left turn. The road ended. Right. And so I wrote about this um, in uh, the magazine's letter from the editor, I don't know, four or five months ago. And I said, uh, people in recovery are, are, the, are the best people I know. Because I was really thinking about it, and I was like, "Man, I, I like people in recovery better than anybody." Because especially if you've had more years, you know, going, uh, uh, and you're actually working things, you're deep and introspective. I tend to think that people that are in recovery, or and maybe those that are not that need to be in recovery, they're not yet. I think maybe we feel things deeper and we're more sensitive that um, there's some kind of ha- higher calling within you that's trying to, you're trying to express some kind of way. And so now when you hit this wall and you have to go, shit, man, like how did this happen? And maybe you can go back to trauma or you can go to this, that, and the other, but it's all about what your what your perspective is. And or what maybe it's like what your job was. So here's a great example. One of my friends I just adore. He's in our magazine every single month. And uh, because he makes the magazine look beautiful. And his name is Michael Blanchard. Shout out to Michael Blanchard of uh, Blanchard MV Studio. MV is Martha's Vineyard. Okay, so he lives in this gorgeous place. And his story was... He was the chief operating officer of a healthcare company. Don't know what it was, but you know, it's not like a mom and pop if you got a CEO, I don't think. And um, he was, a, I, I, as I recall, he's an alcoholic and maybe he was uh, pain pills. He had a big fat house, mansion, and, and you know, family and all the kind of shit. So he's got a steamable job, he's making bank, all the trappings of everything. But then he has this problem, right? That's going on. And invariably, it came crashing down, and he lost everything, fired, you know, and house, divorce, all of it, okay? So he's, like, picking up the pieces, rehab or something after, and he, a therapist person, and he was struggling also with depression, too, you know, co- coexisting, and somebody said to him, or he read or something like that, some kind of obscure thing, like, taking pictures is actually very good for depression, so uh, he was like, wow, you know, I, I had photography class in high school 
sure, I, you know, maybe I'll go take some pictures. Well, he does live in a gorgeous area. Martha's Vineyard is gorgeous all around there. Yeah, no shit. And the huh? dude is like the freaking Ansel Adams. If you don't know, Ansel Adams one of the most famous landscape photographers ever. The guy's stuff is just sensational. And so the first time we featured him, I interviewed him, and then we added all these pictures, and it was like, holy shit, man. (laughs) Jumps off the page. And then he's got this great mind and stuff like that. So anyhow, um, I I love Michael. And ever since then, I was like, I just want to have you in every issue because I just want to have these beautiful pictures. But he's a perfect example of the hard left turn. Like, do I want to be a COO of a healthcare company? So now he owns a gallery. Okay. I probably should know he's earning a living in a whole different way. And he's smart. He could do something else, I'm sure. But like he found this passion for photography that he never knew existed. And he's got a gallery and he's making a living. He wrote it. He's got a, like a couple of coffee table books and some things like that. So, and he's very deep. Like when he writes things, he writes these little things that go along with the pictures and it's this introspectiveness, I guess I would say. He's introspective. And this is why I like people that are in recovery the most because, you know, I, I don't know, man. It's not, it's not usually like just surface level bullshit. Like it's like, you know, how do you really, how are you doing? Oh, I'm great. Like, how are you really doing? Oh, uh, well, uh, you really want to know? Yeah. Okay. Well, fuck. so it's this realness and that it comes down to connectedness as well. And that's all that we're really looking to do is just connect with each other. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I think for me, and I don't remember if I, if I stole it, I want to say I got it from Greg Champion, who I believe, you know, uh, but, you know, a big saying of mine and hey, t-shirts coming soon, people uh, No outside solutions to inside problems. And mm. I and I find through my recovery, you know, like it, isn't that kind of what we've done, you know, and yeah. what you're saying that introspection that we take and and really looking inward for, I think it's an acceptance and part of that submission that it's like, yeah, everything I need is here within myself. Yeah, I don't I don't have to leech from anyone else, and and I find like. I just love being around recovery people too because some so many radiate such like beautiful energy out. You don't feel like you're talking to an yeah. energy vampire anymore where you're just like, oh, you know, it's real, man, because yeah. it's real. That's why, because it's real. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of it comes back around to a little bit like the whole second chance mm. or to go spiritual, like the re- like resurrection. Like, you know, I was given a second chance. And now what am I going to do with it? Am I going to do something I'm not, I don't like, I don't feel as contributed. It's not me. Am I going to continue to do, am I going to do that? Or what's my purpose? That's what I always constantly asking, like, what's my purpose? What am I supposed to do? What is this all about? Yeah. What's my why? Yeah. Knocking Doors Down by Carlos Vieira. Now available wherever you get audio books. I wasn't done partying and I didn't want the binge to end. I think I knew that when I finally got home, I'd have to face what I had done, and I wasn't ready to do that. Being responsible for my actions wasn't something I was looking forward to. I had abandoned my wife and baby, my family, and my business. I wanted to avoid the shame of returning to what I had left behind. Even though I was not yet going home, I wasn't sure I had enough resources to continue the binge. Click the link in the podcast description to find out more. 
Well, let me ask you about it. You bring up that valid point, and I know so many people say this, but I've I've said it three times, so um, it's mine now. You know, like that that those of us in recovery are some of the only people that have a second life, so to speak, live a second life. What was first life for Rob like before this journey? Yeah. Okay. Wow. I don't think I've ever, I've never been asked that. So, you know, first life was, you know, really, really functional. I would say, um, I grew up, I'm the last of, um, I am, um, I'm the eighth of eight children. So I'm the, on the, um, yeah. And so, uh, my parents are now, you know, passed away. My mother died at 96 and my dad 80 something. So they have long lives. And, um, so I grew up and, First of all, like, um, you know, before, before, um, you know, I think with recovery today, all my life, I've always been somebody that has questioned why and what, and why is the sky blue and why is this and why is that? How do TVs work? You know, all kinds of things like that. And, um, I got a degree in computer engineering. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. It didn't come very easily to me at all. And, um, and then I worked in the tech sector. And I was in large um, uh, mainframe computer system sales at a, a company in Seattle and uh, traveling around mostly like selling to banks and, and, and things like that, programming them and doing a bunch of different, you know, kind of geek out kind of stuff. And, um, you know, in terms of like addiction story and stuff like that, like I would be functional, like I'm going to go to a bar or something like that. But I do one thing I do remember once was, you know, I, I got completely, you know, blasted out of my mind um, on the road, rented a car and uh, on a business trip and then, you know, destroyed the car and um, I should have died. You know, should have died. Didn't really even get hurt. Matter of fact, I think the car rolled like six or seven times. So there's just stupid things like that, that, um, you know, that happened. And um, and then. Um, uh, you know, kind of the next one of the next chapters was I was an internet marketer. I always liked to communicate and to talk. And so that was kind of my background was in marketing on the internet. I tell people I've been marketing on the internet really since there's been an internet and, and had nothing to do with recovery whatsoever. And I got sober in about 1994. Uh, it was the spring of 1994. So I've got about 29 years. Um, I was really the first person in my family to get sober. Um, uh, my brother, who you'll see is the advisor um, in uh, recovery today, uh, all the guy was a multimillionaire when he was like 23. He's always been a big freaking baller and 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 my funding source, uh, you know, for a lot of my lifetime, college and stuff like that. And at one time, he had 13 different rehabs, and. Um, uh, largest privately held rehab owner in California. And, um, uh, and, and I think the second largest privately held in, in the country. So no stock or anything like that, just he owned all of them. Yeah. And <clears throat> I was kind of at a downtime in my life. Um, it was after the financial crisis of 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12. I did really good to the end of it. And then it all kind of started to really unwind really bad. And I, I went into an, I went into a depression. I'd had a really, um, you know, I'd, I kind of had a, a depression or two in my early twenties, but pretty bad. And so it was mixed together in finances and it was mixed together and just, you know, weight gain and loss of, 
any kind of anything. It was just terrible. And um, I had this inspiration at some point. Uh, uh, I was talking to him, and he was doing he was doing very, very, very well. And so it was kind of like I was down, and he was up. And so um, he said, "Hey, why don't you build? We're opening another rehab. Why don't you build the website?" That's how this happened. It was in 2012, I think, or late 2012. So I said, okay. So for my big brother, I'm going to build a badass website. I wrote all the copy. I really knew nothing about like addictions, you know, in terms of copy. And so I put it all together and then, um, and he loved it. And I did that. And then for a little while, and then, then the inspiration for the magazine came. So this is kind of like what it was before and then kind of going into what it's become. And so I had this idea like, hey, you know, you spend all this money on traffic to come to your website, but they just bounce off. Like you don't have any, there's no opt-in list. There's no, you can't follow up with anybody at all. And so that was where the inspiration for the magazine came. And the original issues of the magazine, like we would never run any ads. It was all just, uh, he paid for all of it, subsidized the whole thing. And um, the only ad that we would ever run in there was for his place. And um, there was no other rehabs or anything like that. So since then, several years ago, he's now sold off most all of them. And in the meantime, we just had so many other, you know, so many things would happen uh, that we'd turn away, turn away, turn away in terms of like, you know, hey, I want to be in the magazine. Mm, no, you're a rehab here. <laughs> like, I'm not, not going to be in. But other ones were like things that didn't overlap, like it was gambling or it was porn or it was uh, uh, eating disorders or teens or some things like that. And so those people we we did, you know, obviously bring in. And um, that's kind of the genesis of what it was. So my background before, you know, technology sales originally, and then I've been an entrepreneur for, you know, I don't know, 23 years, at least 25 years, I would probably say. And marketing and communication is like what I've always, what I've always really enjoyed. But I have never found anything that has the kind of meaning that recovery has. So like the niche that I had worked in before um, in terms of writing copy and messaging and communication. And I would write movie scripts and things for like cartoon movies and promotion and things like that, affiliate marketing. It was usually for like the make money kind of niche. Like, hey, you can make a bunch of money and play golf all the time and you can do, you know, take a nap and you can do all this kind of stuff while you're making money. And it's just bullshitness. I mean, it's just bullshitness. I, I like the whole idea of making a lot of money, but like we're in this tech context, we're talking about saving lives and people are dying. And so at any rate, that's kind of probably too much of the story, but it's, um, you know, that that's kind of how, that's kind of how my story has progressed from who I kind of was to who I am. And one of the reasons why I love this is because I feel like, I feel really good about it. Like somebody somewhere is going to maybe hear some, something that I think is dumbass, some dumbass shit. <laughs> and they're going to be like, fuck, I like believe that guy. Like, I like that guy. Like, that makes sense. Yeah. And then it helps them to change, man. Like, one, everybody's destiny is one sentence. You just can say, you know, what do they say? Stevie Wonder's uh, teacher in grade school said, you have really good ears. You have a really good ear. And it's like a, it's like a, like a pool ball, you know, that sends it on a, sends you on a different trajectory, a ricochet to somewhere else. And it's like, I became Stevie Wonder, may, you know, may, what do you still be in? Maybe, but like somebody recognized something in him. And I just feel like you could, you probably do that by accident all the time. So why not try to do it intentionally?
Absolutely. And I think that, you know, hey, so many of us, you know, just want to be known, seen, heard, and so on. And and I know you get this too, but when somebody sends me like a direct message or an email, hey, thanks for what you do. Uh, I wanted to relapse, but I stumbled on your podcast and I ended up listening for the next six hours and completely forgot that I wanted to drink, pop a pill, whatever it is, or, uh, yep. you know, things like that. Or, or like for you, I mean, you've had, some, we've, we've had some crossover with some guests, but, um, I mean, you know, like I love Sugar Ray Leonard. I also went through some sexual abuse. Hopefully we'll speak to him someday. But when he said and shared that vulnerability about going through that, it's like, wow, wait, I can do this too. And I can be open and honest and it's, I don't have to feel emasculated or any of this other stuff. You know, we we get to really lay it out there. I mean, how, you know, like, (laughs) you know, okay, life well served. Great. I got to keep doing this. Yeah. But you brought up something interesting too, first in your family to get sober. So this this was a lineage thing. Yeah, I was the first in my family and my dad, um, my dad was probably, uh, um, he was a gambler, I remember. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, there was that, uh, but there was not any, I, I didn't come from a really a broken home. Like I said, my father, maybe pre-roll, my father was a retired colonel from the Air Force. He had been a, a, a base commander too, an Air Force base commander. And so, you know, and then I think he went, he sort of sold insurance for a while and after you know uh he retired about the time i was born so it wasn't like he ever went to gamblers and anonymous or anything like that my sister uh the youngest of my sisters so there's three four boys and four girls and the youngest girl um her name's heather and uh, my brother did set up the heather k hanley foundation um i remember when i was about 10 years old she was a heroin addict so I'll be 58 in uh, um, uh, a few weeks here. So 1965 would have been around the 70s and they had hippies back then. And so heroin was like popular back in the 70s. OK, so there was a period where heroin was not popular and the hippies would sit around and they'd shoot up. So I remember her. She was probably 18 or something like that. I was probably 10. and My sister was a heroin addict. And then my brother grew up like in the disco, like, uh, you know, John Travolta, <laughs> Saturday Night Fever kind of era. And uh, and he, um, so he's just partying all the time. I got to say, my brother was really, really, really fun. After when I got, when I became an enough enough of an adult where I wasn't just a little punk kid that he beat up on, oh God, he was fun. He was so fun to party with. <laughs> he always had tons of money and he was and everybody he just has his personality like everybody wants to be around him like shit doesn't happen until he's there still to this day is how he kind of how he is so um yeah I, I, but i was the first one in my family to get sober and i got you know hassled for it uh you know quite a bit how did you deal with that? I mean, that so many people, and, and and you know this, Rob, I also work at a nonprofit, Parents and Addicts in Need, and, you know, we talk to a lot of younger people that are really faced with this. Or when I go, I go into classrooms here locally, I prefer that over big auditoriums because I can get, you know, some, some dialogue going with these kids. But how did you personally, like, face that? Because that's tough. I got a lot of shit, too. I got it in relationships where I was like, you're not any fun anymore. Okay. 
great. So you want me to be? There. I had radically changed everything in my life um, at the time, and um, I I was uh, I was raised Catholic, but I wasn't spiritual at all. I um, um, you know made a conscious decision to become Christian, mm. and um, from that point on, I started reading my Bible. I got into personal development, and um, I started developing. I started, this is again, why I say like I, the people that are in recovery, I like more than anybody because they're introspective. So I just started this deep personal journey about like, what is it that I want? What do I want to be? Who, what is possible? What is this all about? All this kind of stuff. And so, although I remember my oldest brother thinking like, what did you quit? You quit drinking? You know what? What you can't even have a glass of wine. I was like, yeah, man, like I'm, I'm, I don't drink. I'm not a drinker. So, um, that's kind of how I overcame it is, is like, I'm just thinking like, I'm not the same guy, man. Like I go to church, you know, I'm young and I'm single. I go to church. I read my Bible. You know, I know that's not, might not be cool to you. This is what I would think, you know, I'm just like, fuck whatever, man. Like, <laughs> you know, you're doing your life, man. I'm doing my life and we'll see who, you know, the youngest always got a little chip on their shoe. We'll see who has a better life. You know, I'm going to have the best one I can have mine. And um, so I just kind of continued. I just, you know, I continued on and, and to where I would distance myself from those. I was old enough that we didn't, it was like I lived with my brother and like I was already on my way. And so I just distanced myself from anybody that was not, you know, in line with anything that I, that I wanted to do. And I'm going where I'm going. And um, if you're not, that's cool. And if you're that kind of person, I, you know, good for you. I'm probably not going to hang out with you is what I would think. You know, I just didn't have any, really any time. So a lot of goals and visions and dreams and things like that. Very intentional as a young man into, into changing myself. And if you're not on board with changing, you know, but what I'm, I'm changing myself. I'm not staying here and good for you, man, but I'm kind of down the road. And that's how I looked at everything. And that's, that's a really tough process. I think, you know, I don't know. You tell me, I, I find that most people in recovery generally are people 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 you know we enjoy the connectivity i mean it really is the opposite yeah. of addiction when we get that community but so many of us had that social lubricant in one way shape or form that was an easy bond connection or took away inhibitions yeah but it's a it's a real challenge especially with some newcomers to say you're gonna have to really set boundaries and even some people that you care about you're going to have to cut off or, or, Hey, you over there, me over here, you know, there is a separation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I was lucky. A lot of people, Rob just went the fuck away. Like, Oh, you don't drink anymore. Bye. It's like, Oh, thank you. Okay. Yeah. I, I know who you are. Yeah, exactly. So there's some things I think that you would need to do. Like if I was giving advice to somebody mm. and they worked in a kitchen now, maybe not their, maybe not their occupation and they went to the Cordon Blue and they've invested tons and tons of years, or maybe they're a waiter. Okay. Or mm. bartender, something like that. Okay. Uh, anybody that's worked in restaurants, bars, they know people that work in restaurants and bars party. Okay. You work, it's very stressful. And then when you're, when it's done, you know, or even what's happening. Uh, so, you know, I probably tell somebody like, you might want to look at, at kind of changing and changing careers, man. Cause I don't think it's, you're, it's, it's, um, it's all by association. You become like those that you associate with. And so, um, 
yeah, I mean, my advice to anybody would be just you find those that are aligned with you and with what you want to do. And everybody else kind of just, you don't have to tell them, hey, man, I can't see you anymore. I don't think uh, all of the people, just like what you said with you, they all lost interest in me. Hmm. Um, I was always too busy to be doing something else. I always seemed to have pl- different plans for, you know, wh- whenever it was. I just was not available that much. And fortunately, the people that knew me before, like when I was, you know, I'd love to go to bars and I'd buy drinks for everybody and everything like that. The people that knew me then, um, they they were cool. And they most of them just respected it and were like, hey, that's really cool. When I told you, yeah, you know, I got this much sober or, you know, when, when did you drink last? I was like, oh, you know, it's about, it's been a year. And they're like, wow, how did you, you know? So it, it wasn't that difficult. They just fell away, man. They just fell away. That was really what it was. They just felt the ones that were not serving me just fell away. While you're checking knocking doors down out, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. And if you get a lot out of this podcast, share with a friend. And don't forget the archive of interviews we have. Bam Margera, Brandon Novak, Kat Von D, Charlie Sheen, Edward Furlong, Kelly Osborne. The list goes on and on of amazing guests that have been on the podcast sharing how they have found purposeful lives. Speaking of purpose, how about a lifestyle brand with purpose? 5150 LTM. That's right. Not only is it a lifestyle brand that can fit whatever it is you're trying to achieve in life, but they give back to the community. And you, the listener of Knocking Doors Down, get 20% off every time you shop at 5150 LTM. All you have to do is use the code KDD20 at checkout and get 20% off. And how does 5150 give back to the community? Portions of the sales benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation. Their three amazing programs, the race to end the stigma, the race for autism, and the race to be drug free. More on the Carlos Vieira Foundation, go to carlosvierafoundation.org. You know, you brought up your your um, a couple of phases of depression. And one of the things that I find really valuable that, that, that you and the staff do with Recovery Today magazine is that mental health component is really there. You know, I've, I've encouraged a few people that, you know, maybe substance abuse or, or quote unquote addiction isn't necessarily their thing, but some of these mental health shows like, Hey, check it out. I mean, here's the link you subscribe. It's easy. You know, um, was that a conscious effort that you really wanted to pull that component of, of mental health into it? Yeah, 100%. So mm-hmm. in fact, um, it was probably almost the central component, as a matter of fact. So, um, if I look at it from the genesis of like me as the as the kind of the starting this is in terms of my idea and what it would look like, what the content was going to be, is early on. I, I don't know whether it was some platform we were setting up or there was something that was kind of necessitated. Like, well, what is it? Okay, or even the elevators, we talk in sales like the elevator speech, like we're getting what what is it? It has to be something that's actually quick and kind of easy. And so I thought very intentionally about what is it? Like what's the very first thing that we would say that recovery today is? And when the magazine had started, as I mentioned, it started at a time of kind of crisis in my life. I was depressed, you know, thank God that I had a brother that was there for me. 
and that gave me something that I could do. You know, I was already, I already had these skills, but, um, and so I started thinking about transformation. Okay. So this is a little bit kind of heavy, but like, just to give it the credit that's due is I'm fat to be, I want to be a fit. I'm poor. I want to be prosperous on this. I want to be transformation of any kind of any kind. And I started to realize because I was hopeless as being depressed, I was hopeless. Okay. I started realizing the first and primary ingredient to any kind of transformation is hope. It, what do I need the most of right now? I need hope. Like, I just feel like everything is wrong. I need hope. I need hope. I need hope. And so then I kind of had this, I, then I realized I was like, wow, man, before you could go to the gym and get in shape, before you could do this, before you could do that, before you could do anything, you have to have this idea, this hope that like, if I just do A, B, and C, maybe, just maybe it could be better. So that was where the whole very intentional part of Recovery Today is. Recovery Today is a magazine of hope, period. And then then even more so to punctuate it is everything that we do revolves around hope. Every piece of content, every interview, everything that we do, we're dealing with dark subject matter. My kid died, my this, my this, whatever. I mean, we're dealing with life and death. But if, if you're in recovery today, there's some kind of strong uptick of hope. What did you do with that? How did it happen? What, 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 what did you, tra- you know, what transformed? So, yeah, so very intentionally, I've always resonated very, very strongly, particularly with depression, anxiety, fear, and regret. In truth, for me, you know, not drinking, staying sober, not doing stuff, um, is not really even a thing for me after 29 years. Like it hasn't been for a long, long time. It's not like thinking, God, I need to go get a freaking beer. I wish I could get a drink. I wish I could do, you know, such and such. If only, you know, I need to call my spot. It's that's not even a thing for me. Well, really what the thing has been is like, why am I feeling blue right now? Uh, you know, like, why do I feel anxious? What do I, I feel something kind of in my spirit right now? Like what's going on. And then I medicate, if you will, mostly by going to the gym and releasing endorphins or something like that. And so, yes, there's a very strong component to mental health, specifically around depression, around anxiety, around fear. And there'll probably be even more as we go along. I want to focus on like procrastination as an addiction oh, and, yeah. and fear as an addiction. Or I have friends that they just create drama. I think that they f- we feed on and are addicted to drama and like these salacious kind of things. And, and um, so these are the kind of things I very intentionally want to incorporate and bring into and amplify within recovery today. Yeah. Well, and I think that you, you nailed some things that are so incredibly value. I know for me, it was interesting, you know, Rob, I got the chemicals out of the way and then realizing underneath from my childhood trauma, some of its sexual abuse and things like that, was like, whoa, I'm a sex and love addict. I couldn't quit toxic relationships. That was my ultimate thing. And then what happens in those, you have give somebody else the power to lift you up and tear you down. Well, when you're down, what do you want to do? You don't want to feel any of that. So then you go drink or use or whatever, you know? Yeah. And, and I think so many people, I know that, you know, there's so many isms to addiction, right? We have so many isms just as people. 
And, yeah. and, and I think the more we can understand the brain, the release of chemicals, things like you said, drama. I know people that they seem to always have to have at least one enemy in their life, no matter what. They seem to always have to be in a fucking fight with someone. Yeah. Yeah. And it and it's not and it's not healthy conflict, you know. So it's um, I'm glad you're going to explore that. I know that's going to be really helpful to a lot of people. It's going to be helpful to me because I really picked up a lot from the areas of mental health. Someone that struggles with anxiety, you, you know, uh, depression and things like that. And I've and had I've had agoraphobia. Oh, and really? All the way back to not now, but like in right. college. Um, I discovered, I, I went to see a therapist. I was terrified to see a therapist because I figured it was going to screw my whole life over. Everybody was going to know I saw a therapist. And, and, um, but I had agoraphobia and it, which is traditionally like you're, like you're leaving the house, right? Like that's what agoraphobia generally is for me. And maybe this is helpful to somebody at all. There was first fear and there was second fear. And so the first fear was like just a regular, kind of something that you might see something unexpected and would release a little bit of adrenaline, but your, you know, your nerves are so bombarded all the time. And so you kind of tend to overreact. And the second fear was always like, I'm going to wig out and lose my shit. Like in some, um, some, uh, uh like, uh, uh, be, I'm going to have to be carried off, you know, like I'm going to be in some public meeting or someplace and they're going to go like, Oh, did you ever hear what happened rock game? Oh yeah. That's the guy that like lost his shit at the basketball game. Oh yeah. I heard about that. So I would all the second fear was like, oh God, please don't let me like lose my shit right now. Like, and so it was this, it was very much performance based all the time. Like, how am I gonna look? And I was never like I could never like relax, like, you know, and 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 just these constant feedback loops in my brain all the time. So um part of it might have been actually just being a younger kind of person, but I was able to reframe it and give myself some tools to um de you know to to uh, decompress off of these you know off of these kind of uh off of these kind of things so um whether or not it's something that's hereditary or i think that it's a matter of just the perspective that we look at things yeah man i'm i'm very 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 passionate about uh about that yeah well and how do you, uh, so i've got two teenagers and you have you have a, two kids three kids Two, we've got two good memory. Um, uh, my oldest is twenty one, and we've got twenty one and nineteen, boy and girl. How did you? How did you kind of, from a, a father standpoint, tackle some of these issues? Because it's you know, truth and honesty. Yeah, I because I can speak. It's easier for whatever reason. I can speak to a class of kids easier than sometimes the conversation with my own. So this is selfish. Why I'm asking you. Well, I love, first of all, thanks for what a great entry, because it's, that's one of my favorite uh, conversations and topics. Mm -hmm. And obviously, anybody that ever talked to me would know, like, damn, that guy can talk. My, my father <laughs> could talk to. And, and one of the things I always thought about with kids is kind of a joke is like, it's a captive, but you're a freaking captive audience. And that's how I was with a kid with, with you know, with my dad. And um, I think my dad was a great dad, but I try, I think that I bring much more wisdom and insight to the life of my children than my own father did. And a lot of it is just the age that we live in. So, you know, one of the lines that I have always used forever with my kids is like, hey man, like I, especially the older one, you know, whatever the age was, it's like, look, dude, uh, 
you know, you're eight or you're nine or whatever. And the truth is like, I've been nine, I've known nine years old, nine year olds, but I've never been a father to a nine year old. So like, swear, I'm doing the very best that I can do here. And, um, and so, you, you know, I'm going to make mistakes. And so, although he maybe probably couldn't process that at nine or 10, um, it gave me in my mind margin to say like, look, I'm just, you know, this is something that's new to me, man. I, I've never been a dad before. Um, I'm trying. And, um, and so some of the things were, I would say, I'm sorry. So if I felt like I made a mistake later or something like that, I'd go back and I'd be like, man, I, I, you know, I kind of blew that, man. Like, I'm sorry about that, dude. Like I'm, I'm doing my best over here. Um, and the main thing that the main kind of deal with my kids is to know I have your best interest at heart. Mm. And I, I've had many, many, many conversations, mostly with my son who was very hard headed and about like, look, man, like I would actually like really take a bullet for you. Okay. Um, I meet a lot of people like a lot of people, but I be a very, very short list of people of who I would actually take a bullet for. You're one of them. Ever since you were born, like a few minutes before after you're born, I would have died for you. So I only want the very best for you. And I'm going to help you figure things out as best you can. Ultimately, um, everything that you do in life is going to be a decision that you will make. He had a rough time at one time um, when he was a, a, a teenager. And I remember saying, like, look, man, you're either going to end up, you know, on the streets, you're going to end up in jail, you're going to end up dead. And I would be very, very, very sad if any of those things happened. Like, I would I would remember that for the rest of my life. But mark my words, like, that would be your decision. And I am determined, even if something as tragic and horrible like that would happen, I am going to live my life. And um, I will always love you. It's not a condition. You know, I'm not proud. You know, and then straight up, I'm not proud of you right now. Like you're fucking up, you know, like, you know, you're not doing esteemable shit. It's not who you are, man. Um, so, but the, there's part of this whole, like I would die for you, but at the same time, I'm also uh, a sovereign un unto myself. You know, like I only get one shot in my life too. So, um I don't know if that kind of might help anybody at all, but like, I love talking about, um, and my kids have turned out, you know, good. They're, they're good. They're good. They're good kids. So, um, I, I love talking about that. That's, that's a couple of my favorite things to talk about. No, thank you. That's, um, incredibly helpful. I've definitely had some of those scenarios and I, and I see it and I'm not, I'm not here to like pick on anyone, but I, but I, sometimes I think that, that parents forget where they end and their child begins and where their child begins and they end, you know, cause at the end yeah. of the day, they're just our gift to give out to the world. And that's, that's, yeah, sorry. I got, even got a little teary eyed when you were talking because I could like feel those things and some of those very similar times and emotions. Um, it's spiritual, man. That's because it's spiritual and it's how we were created to be. That's why. And I'll tell you one more in terms of the whole thing about like dying is I remember, so it was my son. I, I didn't have quite this experience with my daughter because now I had been, I had already been a parent. Okay. They were born a couple of years apart. And I remember, oh, my son was born. It was a long, long, long labor for my poor wife. And 
And uh, he was born like early in the mornings, five or six in the morning. We were exhausted. It was like 20 something hours for my wife, you know. And um, he and I was looking at him. He was like on the table, the, you know, whatever. And I was looking down on him and I was like, oh, God, like, you know, he's got the stuff on him and all that. And I was like, oh, man, like, dude, like I, all of a sudden I had this, uh, this, I'm like, wow, I just like had this overwhelming, as exhausted as I was, I had this overwhelming sense of love. And I was like, whoa, like, that's kind of weird, man. Like, like, I mean, where did this even come? Wasn't like somebody said, do you love your son? Like I was just looking at him and then I was just over, I was freaking overwhelmed. And being kind of the engineer part of my mind, I always have to quantify and I'm like, well, how much do I, how much actually, this is odd, how much do I actually love you? And then that was when I thought I would, I would die for you right now. And then I thought, damn, that's really weird. Like I, I've only met this person. I've only seen him for a minute and I would give my life for him. And I'm like, that is just really, really weird. I think it's also one of the reasons why females process like uh, the loss of a child or a stillborn or something so much more is because they're already uh, physically, probably spiritually connected to that, whereas I had just had this one experience. So I just think that this is how we're wired, man. And um, the depth is, and it, it also, it gave me an entirely fresh and new perspective on my relationship with God. So this leads me into things like people thinking like, you know, should you be rich? Should you be poor? Should you be this? Should you be that? I always look at it as like God, my father, and what is it that I would want for my kid? So would you want your kid, is it is it better, you know, that you're more holy or you're going to please your father more if you're poor, if you're meek? Do you need to flog yourself? Do you need to self-incriminate yourself and things like that? Do you have the kind of father that's like, oh, God, like, I know I'm really not worthy to get this kind of, to get any kind of anything. And like, I'm so sorry. In fact, if it's your will to give me some sneakers I can please, you know, thou art give me this kind of thing. Like your kids come to you freely. And and so everything that I've had, it transformed, being a father transformed my my whole perspective with God. Like I just always think like, well, what would I want? Like, yeah. would I want my kid to be rich or poor? Well, I don't want to be an asshole. <laughs> okay. But right. given that not given, I would want him to be as some benevolent rich than a, than a benevolent poor. Okay. I would want him to be, you know, I want him to prosper in kind of in every way. So anyhow, I don't know how I went on that whole segment. I took a little bit of the liberty there, but that's no. kind of my that's kind of my thought uh, process on children and spirituality and stuff like that. No, please, I I love having these conversations, Rob. I, I I don't always get to get into this with everyone, and you know, I've definitely put more into. My spirituality, because the question was put to me, are you know, are you a human being having a spiritual experience, or are you a spiritual being having a human experience? And you know, I said the the latter at the first part, and then I then it dawned on me the same person, a mutual friend of ours um, yeah. that I've been working with, Mike Diamond. He went, well, why would you fucking say that? You're talking like you get that body of yours forever, and I was like, wow, you're right. Everything, yeah, everything's for rent. This body, my time. I'll give you one even further that's pretty heavy that I have only, I mean, you use the word experience. 
But I really think about it now in the in the actual context of this. I was listening to some podcast a few months ago, and the guy was actually so. Are you human? You know, are you human? Are you a human being with a spirit? Are we a spirit in a human body? You know, having this experience. And the guy was saying, because I always wonder, like, what's consciousness? Like, what actually is this? You know, like, and and uh, he suggested that we are actually because there's even the whole thing like this is all of this is all a simulation we're in a fucking video game right now like we, how well no we're not in a video game. how would you know how would you know that this isn't like westworld if yeah. we were just activated this morning you would you actually wouldn't really know so anyhow the the perspective was we okay of who we are are actually not here. All of the physical, it's like kind of like, it's like living, it's very, 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 Matrix is one of my favorite movies. Um, and it's because uh, it's the whole idea of what is real, what's experienced. So we think we're here, but in actuality, we are this um, infinite beings, okay? We're, and I don't mean aliens, we're, you know, we're, we're some kind of infinite spiritual being that's somewhere else, okay? In a different mm-hmm. dimension or heaven or whatever you want to say, we're somewhere else and we're kind of beamed in and having this experience, right? And so now I try to look at everything like, well, that that's just an experience. Everything is to have have an experience. I was listening to a podcast this morning, you know, it's kind of like that a little bit about having an experience. It's talking about our imagination. And so we can actually even say like, you know, I think I would like the experience of this. And the more we think about it, maybe I was going to say muse on it, but the more that we kind of bring these things over and over and think, yeah, this would be an experience. I would like to have this experience. We we are creative beings when we bring this into being and we bring this in. So I know this is kind of hippie-ish. No, it's just I kind of where I've kind of been a little bit and what I've kind of been thinking about a lot lately. Like um I think that we are um I'm a I'm a crypto enthusiast. I shared this with my with my breathwork coach. And um so if you don't know crypto, that you'll be completely lost. If you know anything about crypto, you'll get it. So I'll go a little bit further. I'm a Christian. So there's a Christian verse that says, you know, uh, Jesus or God said, you know, I'm the vine and you're the branch. Okay. So I get it. Like I'm little, but you're big, but I'm still part of you. Okay. And, and then another verse is like, I am created in God's image and likeness. So how old are your kids? Uh, 13, 14. So I bet you if I went not ever seeing your kids to their soccer game or whatever, and I had a chance to look at all of the kids together. Okay whatever it would be, I would be able to look them, look them over and look them over. And, and especially if I knew you better, right. And I'd be able to go, <laughs> Hey, that's Jason's kid. I heard it says, he says, says, talks the same, kind of looks the same, kind of walks the same. That's definitely his kid. So that is actually in his image and likeness. So if anybody thinking like, well, I don't know what God looks like, well, guess what? He looks like you, looks like me, looks like you know, like an image and in likeness. Okay. So in the blockchain kind of thing is kind of That's interesting, right. right? So the blockchain thing is interesting because the blockchain and all of the crypto kind of stuff is their independent nodes. It's called um, uh, uh, um, it's called decentralized. And so I am not any greater or better than you. We're just different individuals that are all part of this chain, all part of this, you know, I am the branch and you are the vine. And then what is our purpose? I think our purpose is to actually 
um, express love. I think that's really what everything is all about, is that we are supposed to create love. We're supposed to transfer love to other people. We're supposed to validate love in terms of like, oh, yeah, that's I recognize that. That's love and witness it and things like that and i think that's really the essence of everything so now i know i've probably gone really really deep into uh, <laughs> I know about this, um you know I'll, uh, in some of my letters but um that's what i that's what i think i think that we are having this experience here on earth and we are really infinite beings that's what i believe yeah you know i've never thought of it that way you know I, we've had a wonderful um the the sermons this year it's uh uh ironically at the church i go to been uh under called under the influence what are you under the influence of and the thing that really stuck with me the most and in sitting and kind of you know i get into rumination unfortunately i can get into that fucking negative self-talk and all this all those things that that we do and it was the the pastor and he had said you know how much are your actions aligned with what you think would be loving from God? And I was like, I would never put anybody down the way I do in my own head. I'm going to start doing more work to stop that shit today. Because every time I do that, then I go back to the things you were talking about earlier, the procrastination, the anxiety rises, the depression rises, the negative side, all these things. Yeah. And then you have this self-talk like, Oh fuck, man! I'm such a piece of shit. I'm such a, such, a, such, a, such a. Would you tell your kid that if your kid messed up? Would you be like, dude, you're a piece of shit? Like you never yeah. could follow through on anything. Like what's wrong with your ass? You know, like these are the thoughts that go through our own mind. I can never do anything. Like I'm just such a thought. Da, 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 da. Talk to yourself like you would talk to your kids. You're gonna talk to your kids like that? Like you need to think of your your ego okay that because that's what we want to build in a healthy way think of it like a, like a child you wouldn't talk you wouldn't go off on him shouldn't you know if you should you should apologize <laughs> you can apologize to yourself a little bit you know love each other love your neighbor as yourself but the problem is most people don't love themselves and so they are loving their neighbor like themselves because they don't like themselves and so they don't treat anybody else nice either yeah, way too often. So anyhow, that's kind of like I said. I'm way, way, way out in the heavy deep end here, but no, I like it. Not Rob. I don't get too many people that want to get out in this. I, I enjoy this kind of conversation. I think it's, it's what it's about, man. I I agree. And, and as the older I get, and the more I'm, you know, losing people or whatever it is, that the more I embrace that, really. And um, I don't know if find comfort is the right. I guess it helps enhance purpose and I, and I don't waste time like I used to, you know, I, I look at time differently. So anywho, uh, all right, Rob, uh, I shift gears here. We jump into fun, random questions. Are you ready? Good, sir. Yeah. Bring it, man. All right. Uh, man, I, I'm curious what you would have, uh, any pet peeves, stupid people. Yeah. I don't like stupid people. Yeah. If I get bad service or something like that, or a business owner, sometimes I will tell business owners later or I'll post, I don't do business with stupid people. So I don't care what color you are, religion you are. I'm highly prejudiced to stupid people. I do not like stupid people. I don't like stupid drivers. I don't, I don't like oh, stupid people. Yeah. Oh, drivers has been the worst lately. Like nobody remembers proper lane changing uh, procedures yeah. and, 
And, and I don't uh, like tailgaters. That's a pet peeve that pisses me uh, off. Too. Right. Yeah. I don't know about you. You're in Florida now, right? Bad tailgaters, man. It's uh, freaking ridiculous here. It's so, so ridiculous. Yeah, I'm in Central California, but lately, like the worst tailgaters have become the Tesla drivers, and it's like, what the f- <laughs> like? Yeah. Come on, uh, you could have dinner with any one person, living or not. Who would they be? Uh, that's an easy one. I would probably have. I mean, the easy layup one I want is, I, I of course have dinner like with Jesus. You know, Man. like uh, how would you not choose that? Uh, I don't know who my second pick would be. I don't know, man. You know. Um, Maybe like I like old time authors like Orson Sweat Martin. Oh, I love yeah. Tony Robbins. I'd love to have dinner with Tony Robbins. I think that'd be kick ass. Maybe wow. I'll do that someday. Maybe I'll set that as an intention. You know, he's alive. So wow, Orson Sweat Martin. That is, I have not heard anybody else bring that author up. You ever. actually know Orson Sweat Martin? I'm surprised you do. Wow. Yes, I. You know, a funny story. You want to know how I got turned yeah. on to him? Uh, the professional wrestler, the Ultimate Warrior really yes he was he got really into after he retired from wrestling into personal development and all these things and i had emailed him and i said i'm getting really interested in this you know i told him things that i went through it really left me kind of emasculated i don't have much confidence and he went read orson sweat martin i was like really okay i'll i'll give He's it a OG, man and he writes his if you like writing at all like it's got this kind of, uh, uh, it's not poetic, but it's kind of got this poetic prose. I think is the word. Like it, it's like eating a meal. It just when you when you're when you're hearing it in your mind, it just sounds like good. So I would big shout out for a book called Every Man a King uh, by by Marden M A R D E N. Also another one called Pushing to the Front. This guy was the original OG. He was like eighteen. 70 to like 1915 or something like that. He was an OG, uh, Marvin was. Yeah. Um, all right. They, uh, here, I, I like this one. They, uh, so does somebody, some company decides to license your life story for a movie. Who would you want to play adult you and what genre would it be? Okay. <laughs> well, I always joke around with my wife that I live and I'm Brad Pitts or something like that. You know? <laughs> I always tease her that I'm a supermodel, that I'm, a, you know, like, I don't know what all the other supermodels doing right now. So I don't know. Who would I, would I license to be me? Probably that's like the first thing that would pop up to be like Brad Pitt or something like that, I suppose. So what was the other part of the question? Uh, what <laughs> genre? Uh, what genre? It would have to be some kind of drama, I suppose, you know, like, it's not like it's action hero stuff at this point in my life, you know, but, uh, it would have to be, it would have to be some kind of, uh, drama. Yeah. Yeah. I always figured mine would be a pretty good dark comedy. There's some some dark comedy. How funny, man. That is interesting. I like that. Well, I mean, you know, that's a great question, by the way. I like that. Yeah. You're a guy that's been in the rooms, you know, when we have people that aren't in recovery and sometimes our sense of humor, they they don't get it at all. They're, no. they're, you know, they're like, Oh, good God. Okay. Um, all right. Last one before I leave you with the final thoughts, uh, you're stranded on a deserted Island. You have one music artist's greatest hits and one movie. What are they? Oh, wow. The movie part is easy is, um, the movie I would probably choose Braveheart. I love Braveheart. And um yeah, I love Braveheart. And then um uh, 
you know, I would say the music artist, I, I like I like Triumph or I like Rush. The only reason I wouldn't even say Rush is because I've I've just burned it over like decades. <laughs> so, but I like three man bands from Canada. So, one music artist would probably be I would listen. To, I would I would probably yeah I'd probably fill up my MP3s with with Triumph. I think. Right on. Uh, Rob, this has been a pleasure to finally connect with you in this way. Yeah, man. We get to do it down the line, but I like to leave uh, you with the last thoughts. Um, you know, people that are out there struggling, or maybe they have a loved one that has struggled, and anything you'd want to drop. Yeah, thank you. Um, first of all, I really enjoy it. As you can tell, I love to talk about, uh, like I said, the weightier matters of life. Big shout out to you and to, you know, everything that you're doing and and, uh, you know, knocking doors down um, and, the, and the people that you're connecting with, because there's more people that need help than there is people that are saying, you know, I'd like to be helpful. And so any kind of uh, what I would say to anybody that is um, either in recovery, thinking that maybe I need to be, maybe somebody sent this or or you love somebody, which is actually pretty much everybody is that. <clears throat> there's always hope there honestly is always hope and you can take an inventory of the good things that are happening in your life if you think that there's nothing or you're completely broke look around and it sounds silly but you can kind of see all the abundance that's around you there is there, there's there is opportunities and i do really believe that through just sheer grit and determination and and hanging in there that if you can just tread water long enough, okay, when the time you're thinking, God, I'm choking, I'm swallowing, if you can just not drown, okay, your time will come and there'll be something that will naturally lift you up. There will be an opportunity. There will be somebody will enter your life. In the meantime, it is your job to prepare yourself. And so, do whatever that you can do to be the kind of person that's going to be easily lifted. Get into personal development. Start listening to fucking read Orson Schlepp Martin, number one, you know, uh, and, and, and do any of these kind of things. And then if you'd like to connect with us at Recovery Today, um, do, you know. Um, so that's kind of the everything that I've been is kind of espousing right now is the theme, but it's not just me. There's other people and cool, uh, there's cool um uh, therapists and different stuff like that. And it's just very real type of stuff that's in there. This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast featuring celebrities, experts, and everyday people who have overcome adversities, including addiction, mental health, and trauma to live purposeful lives. And that's what Knocking Doors Down is all about.